0: To find out if it's right for you,
1: the following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, you're gonna go down and go to hell. I'm 911, uh, your emergency? Oh.
0: This is here, We're pretty one look. The road. What's Send the problem? Turn the police out! And hey don't be a hero, mate. And I said, I'm not trying to be a hero, but the police are
1: coming. One in the chest, one in the hip. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the
2: cannibalism started eating at the heart and, uh, the arm muscle. Oh I would nailed Carl with to a coffee table and just and just pull it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cherub, cherub face, cherub face little boy who would who, 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 who whose who's life
1: would be I'd harm someone to um, kill someone to be an enormous amount of especially uh, at uh, first. Uh, enormous amount of, of uh, horror and remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger.
3: The phenomenal Australian crime film Animal Kingdom is one of our favourites.
1: Yeah, and there's the TV show about it now too.
3: That's right. But did you know it's loosely based on a true story?
1: It's all about the notorious Pettingill family who ruled the Melbourne underworld in the 1970s and 80s. They were drug dealers, armed robbers, rapists and murderers.
3: It is a tale of extreme drug use, rampant violent crime and police corruption. But the most shocking thing here is the truth is not only stranger than fiction, it's also much, much worse. Hi, I'm Barney Black.
1: And I'm Tara Saraban.
3: And this is Bloody Murder.
1: We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia.
3: And indeed around the globe.
1: Now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. All
3: right, Tara, it's time for us to get murdery.
1: Let's begin with the murderous matriarch of this fucked-up family. Kath Pettingill was born in the Melbourne slums in the Great Depression in 1935.
3: Kath's mum Gladys and grandmother Kathleen were married to men but had ex-facto relationships. Yes, they stepped out. That produced other siblings, so the family tree is quite tangled. Some of the extended branches of the family were respectable and law-abiding, while others had long histories of crime and anti-establishment views.
1: The men in the family came and went, sometimes to jail or to war in the case of Kath's father. But the women were the cornerstones of this tribe. Kath actually grew up thinking that her dad had died in the Middle East during World War II. Years later, it was discovered that he'd committed suicide, in part because of hate letters that he received from his wife Gladys. Must have been some gnarly hate letters.
3: Kath and her two sisters were raised by their grandmother Kathleen while Gladys moved on to a series of bigamous relationships, generally with merchant seamen, largely for their pensions.
1: But sometimes for their seamen. Kath was an unusual child who had fantasies about death and evil. Although from a religious family, she surmised from what she read in the Bible that Satan was actually more powerful than God. So when she was 12 and she decided she wanted to have kids, rather than pray to God, she prayed to Satan that she would have 10 children. When she was 16, she gave birth to her first son, Dennis.
3: Dennis would go on to kill at least five people and some say up to 15.
1: Her mother, Gladys, who'd mostly disappeared during Kathy's childhood, reappeared and took over the care of Kathy's first two children, Dennis and Peter. The boys would have a brutal upbringing with their grandmother and her boyfriend. According to later interviews with Peter, their grandparents would drink cheap red wine every night and beat the young boys with pot sticks. And you know what? That that is not what everyone did before the internet.
3: Some people did.
1: Yes, yes, some. Um.
3: The two boys are led to believe that Gladys is their mother and Kath is their big sister.
1: That's exactly how Ted Bundy was raised, actually.
3: That's right. They were told Kath left home with a small-time petty criminal called Billy, who bashed her frequently. He later ended up in prison for armed robbery.
1: Kath would go on to have eight more children, fathered by two more different boyfriends. Praise Satan.
3: Of her ten children, three would be adopted out to other families... Dodged a bullet there. And five of them, Dennis, Peter, Victor, Jamie and Trevor, would become hardened criminals. There was another brother there too, Lex, who had a bit of a criminal record too.
1: Yeah, but just not hardened. A softened criminal. A softened criminal. (laughs) Her daughter, Vicky, would go on to give birth to Kath's first grandson, Jason, who also got sucked into the family's seedy criminal life from a really young age. Like as soon as he hit his teens.
3: Kath's oldest son Dennis Allen grows into a vicious teenage street thug and at 18 he ends up in jail.
1: Kath Pettingill, now in her mid-30s, left her job as a barmaid and went on the game. What she could earn as a sex worker in one night would take her weeks to earn behind the bar. But Kath didn't last as a sex worker for very long. She had too much ambition. She moved up the ladder very quickly and became a madam, then went on to running her own brothel.
3: With cash now rolling in, her boys would queue up for money, especially when they were needing bail. By this time, Dennis and Peter had left home, but they visited Kath regularly to stand up for their little brothers when they were getting beaten by Kath's new husband, Jimmy Pettingill.
1: Jimmy would go on to kill himself in mysterious circumstances after a heated argument with the older brothers about the bashings that he dished out to their siblings. Hmm, that's interesting though. I mean, I, I do kind of wonder... Exactly what happened there. In
3: 1973, after Dennis was released from jail, he got drunk with his brother Peter Allen and two mates.
1: Ah, Peter Allen. When my baby?
3: No, different Peter Ah, Allen. Okay. This is is the bad Peter Allen.
1: Oh, okay, good, because I don't want to hear that the guy who went to Rio did that sort of shit.
3: Well, no, this Peter Allen did not wear a pineapple on his head.
1: Probably never went to Rio.
3: They abducted, imprisoned and raped two girls in a flat in Sandringham, south of Melbourne. The gang then split up. Peter and a mate embarked on a two-day violent, drunken rampage. In a random attack in Springvale, Peter shot his gun five times at a passing murderist, hitting the car twice.
1: Then Peter and his mate strolled into a pizza parlour in Glen Iris and started grabbing slices of pizza off people's plates. When the owner intervened, an argument ensued, which culminated in Peter shooting the pizza parlour owner in the foot.
3: Next, Peter and his mate gate-crashed a party in Port Melbourne. They were quickly thrown out. Among the guests were members from the Dingoes Rock Band, including Christopher Stockley and Broderick Smith. As they left, they badly wounded Stockley by shooting him in the back, resulting in him spending several weeks in hospital.
1: Dennis, Peter and the other two men were eventually apprehended. For the rape and shootings, Peter Allen received 14 years jail. His brother Dennis Allen got 10 years for rape, but only served five because you get a discount.
3: Kath yelled as they were led away.
1: I thought there was a bounty on dingoes. Two dollars an ear.
3: Yeah, I think there was a bounty on dingoes in the early 70s.
1: A couple of years later, in 1979, Kath was shot in the eye after an argument with two sex workers. Kath later told media, Yeah, I've been shot. It doesn't hurt. Your body goes in shock as soon as you're shot.
3: Kath's attackers were tried for attempted murder. But she remained loyal to the criminal code of silence, refusing to testify against them, and they were both found not guilty. Kath now sports a funky false eyeball that cannot blink.
1: By 1982, Kath was running an illegal brothel in Stevenson Street, Richmond, and Dennis owned the house next door. He used it to establish the headquarters of a violent crime and drug empire.
3: Dennis was in charge, and he was the enforcer too. By then he was covered in jailhouse tattoos. He sported it fresh with dozens of gold chains emblazoned with diamonds around his neck and a sharpie haircut he would also get around with his shirt off most days.
1: Yeah, that's true. I've never actually seen a picture of him with his shirt on.
3: I've seen him coming out of court with a shirt on in some footage. (laughs) When he
1: dressed up. (laughs) Yeah,
3: yeah, 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 but he still had the sharpie haircut.
1: And as soon as he was going down the stairs after the court case was over, was he like just ripping his shirt off and throwing it
3: into the wind? Yeah, probably, absolutely.
1: In the next few years, Dennis and Kath would maintain an intense relationship. More brother and sister than mother and son. Well, certainly more something.
3: Yeah, it's creepy. Together they started to buy up property in Richmond in the Stevenson Street area and would gradually build a solid compound that helped them avoid police raids. They knew the area well and would hide guns and drugs by the nearby railway line and along the Yarra River. They would knock holes in walls so they could travel between houses without being seen. Drugs would be sold in the brothel with the main supply kept next door. When a deal was made, the heroin or speed would be passed through the holes in the walls.
1: The untouchable Pettingill crime family would go on to own 40 properties in the Richmond area and easily became the number one criminals in Richmond.
3: If not the whole of Melbourne.
1: Well, yeah, actually, probably more likely the whole of Melbourne at that point. Dennis would fortify all the houses with steel gates and doors and metal grills on all the windows. Weapons were also everywhere, with large swords and knives hanging on the walls. There were also guns in safes hidden in wall cavities throughout all of his houses.
3: Dennis surrounded himself with henchmen he referred to as soldiers. He fed them a healthy, balanced diet of speed and heroin to maintain control over them. Kath kept a large bowl full of small foil packages. She would mark them with green or red texture. Green for go, that's speed, or red for stop, heroin.
1: There was no orange for vitamin C?
3: Well, yeah, a lot of them suffered from scurvy.
1: Yeah, but it was the least of their worries. In his early teens, Kath's young grandson, Jason, went to live with Dennis Allen and became one of his soldiers.
3: But not all of his entourage joined his army voluntarily. At times, he would kidnap women and keep them captive for weeks. He would rape, sodomise and bash them. They would not go to the police under threat of their own death or the death of their family members.
1: A woman named Jenny managed to escape from Dennis one day and ran onto a busy Richmond street. She tried to flag down a taxi, only to be met by three guns pointed at her head. The taxi sped off, not wanting any trouble from the petting gills.
3: Yeah, Jenny ended up having um, a child with him. And, um, what,
1: like against her will?
3: Well, yeah.
1: Oh, my God, okay. Yeah. So really long-term holding women captive.
3: Yeah, that's right. She eventually got away from him.
1: I'm really, really glad to hear that. Hmm.
3: Dennis would inject the girls full of speed, sometimes keeping them awake for up to two weeks, as that was what he was doing to himself, Tara. He would keep a permanent tourniquet on his arm as he was shooting speed into his veins every 15 minutes. He used over seven grams of pure speed a day.
1: When Dennis would leave the house, he'd actually get Jason to guard the women under gunpoint, or he'd chain them up. Many women that went into the Pettingill compound were never seen again.
3: Because Dennis didn't sleep for up to 14 days at a time, he was living in a perpetual speed craze rage. His paranoia was rampant. One night a police helicopter was hovering over the street so Dennis started firing at it. The police raided his house the next day but Dennis hid his gun so well they couldn't find them.
1: Yeah, I heard that he actually used to um, hang them off, like, pieces of rope on the neighbour's fences.
3: Yeah, string, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's um, yeah. he was aware of the laws surrounding firearms possession, and if a firearm wasn't on your property, it wasn't considered yours.
1: Yeah, especially if it's not registered, which, of course, they weren't. The Pettingills lived in an era where no cop could be trusted, and the criminal code kept them safe. No one in their right minds would go up against any of the Pettingills, and especially not against Mad Dog Dennis. His violent reputation would earn him the nickname Mr. Death or Mr. D, like Mr. T for all the gold bling and diamonds he wore around his neck.
3: At one stage, he got his hands on some pretty good heroin. He told his crew to stomp on it good, meaning cut the shit out of it. For some reason, they didn't, and suddenly there were five people found dead around a Richmond compound. Dennis wasn't happy, as one of them was his hairdresser, and he had an appointment the next day to get his sharpie cut adjusted. He so, must have been furious. Yeah,
1: well, this sounds like he usually was furious. Because of these deaths, Dennis taught Kath how to revive overdoses by injecting the person's jugular with a combination of alcohol and speed. It doesn't sound particularly, like, sanctioned by doctors, does it?
3: Well, I'd rather that than being dead. Being the hothead he was, most of Dennis's murders were not premeditated. But if he said he would knock someone, he would knock them. But being lazy and not wanting to go out of his way to do it, he'd just invite them around to his house and kill them there, right in his lounge room. In
1: 1982, after a couple of weeks of no sleep, when his paranoid psychosis was in full swing, Dennis decided that one of his friends, Wayne Stanhope, couldn't be trusted as he may have turned fizz gig or dog... Now, in the underworld, to give evidence, like to tell the truth to the police, is to turn dog or to become a fizz gig. And um, you can get yourself knocked that way.
3: You certainly can. After inviting Wayne over to the Richmond Compound to party, he casually asked him to put a record on. That's vinyl. That's like a big black disc. You put a needle on it. And sound comes out. For for, for you kids. Uh, (laughs) Wayne wandered over to the stereo, unaware that Dennis had followed him. In the crowded room, Dennis emptied his gun into Wayne's head. The party-goers were horrified. Dennis then called for his nephew, Jason, and demanded his gun, which he then proceeded to use to shoot Wayne another six times. So, not satisfied with this, Tara, yeah. he lifted Wayne up by his hair and cut his throat.
1: Teenage Jason apparently went green and threw up in the corner. Dennis then demanded the party-goers clean up the mess before leaving the room. Kath took charge of the clean-up and afterwards demanded that everybody burn their clothes. Later she complained to Dennis that the skull fragments and brain tissue had ruined her expensive vacuum cleaner.
3: You see Tara, the Pettingill family was more like a tribe. They had their own rules of conduct, their own belief system and definite do's and don'ts and none of these things had anything to do with societal expectations, societal norms or the law.
1: Dennis Allen was also thought to be responsible for the murders of fellow Crims, Victor Gurov and Greg Pasch in 1983.
3: So, Tara, I heard this story about Dennis Allen that a cop came around mm. to visit him because cops came and went and visited him all the time.
1: Okay, like a, a uniformed officer?
3: No, uh, like a... a Not a, an undercover officer? No, a vice guy in a suit. Yeah, okay. And uh, he was there and he noticed that um, Dennis had a dog. It was a cross between a, a Doberman and an Alsatian. Mm-hmm. And it was it was half-starved and Dennis would punch it a lot. Fuck what? Yeah, he's a horrible man. Yeah, clearly. So I mean. the, the the copper said, look, I'll take this dog off your hands, you know. and yeah. and, and Dennis said, yeah, sure, take it. So the cop took it back to his house and he had a young family, you know, young kids. And his, yeah. and his wife said, look, you know, this dog's not suitable for, for babies, you know, young kids. Right. So I ended up taking it back to Dennis. Mm. Dennis uh, then just pulled out a sword and cut its head off in front of him.
1: Okay. Mental note to self, don't give dogs to Dennis. No. That's a fucking horrible story, man.
3: It's awful, isn't it? Kath would go on to say in later interviews that Dennis would not know who she was half the time because he was so off his nana on speed. At times, he would think she was his girlfriend. He would chase her down, sometimes with a gun in hand, and she would have to say,
1: Dennis, get off me. It's me. Oh, I'm your mother. So he regularly just chased down his girlfriends with guns is what I'm getting from that. Yeah, I'd say yeah, well, so. <laughs> Makes sense. Dennis would go on to murder sex worker Helga Bugnig in 1984. What happened was after 30-year-old Helga suffered a heroin overdose in Kath's brothel, Dennis decided to finish her off. He sent his nephew Jason down to the Yarra to collect a bucket of water from the river, which he poured down poor Helga's throat. After she drowned, he dumped her body in the river. It's like you, you can't really find sense in his actions sometimes because you just can't relate to his logic because there isn't any.
3: Well, if if they find the water in her lungs to be river water, they're going to think she drowned in the river. Oh, no, I
1: understand that yeah. aspect of it. I just mean she had a heroin overdose, so he decides to drown her on land. Like I don't understand how that
3: yeah, well, those two things are connected. Maybe you know. they ran out of alcohol and speed to revive her. I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah, the special mix.
3: Dennis then recruited his younger brother Jamie into the fold. Jamie was a violent armed robber who had recently been acquitted of killing a security guard in a failed heist.
1: At the coroner's inquest into Helga's death, Dennis got Jamie to send the authorities a message of defiance. In 1985, on the morning of the inquest, the coroner's court was exploded with a drum of petrol and two sticks of gelignite.
3: A few days later, Jamie was found dead. Killed by a massive heroin overdose Hating the Pettingill family with a passion The police said at the time This was a great outcome for everybody
1: Did they actually say that or are you joking? No, they did They actually said to the press that this was a great outcome Yeah Wow Well, he, he was
3: suspected of doing the, uh, the coroner's court thing Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I
1: understand that yeah. But I feel like their PR nowadays is a little bit more subtle Yeah, I you think know? it is you know? It was a different time Although Jamie was well known as an addict, Kath and Dennis believed that he was actually murdered by someone who gave him a hot shot of heroin.
3: Next, Dennis decided to murder a Hells Angel bikey named Anton Kenny after luring him to the house.
1: Yeah, because he doesn't leave his own house to commit murder.
3: Well, Anton was shot three times before Dennis moved Anton's body to another of his houses in Richmond.
1: With the windows boarded up and plastic sheeting on the floor and a 44-gallon drum nearby, Anton's body was sliced up with a chainsaw. But Dennis couldn't get all of the body parts to fit into the barrel.
3: You know Dennis at first tried to get Jason, the teenager, he was only uh, 14, to mm. do the chainsawing. Oh, and he just went, oh, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Mm. So Dennis just went in there and did it himself. So, yeah, he couldn't get all the body parts to fit into the barrel. Kath was then said to quip,
1: Oh, Dennis, you dill! Rigor mortis only lasts so long, just wait a bit and then try to make him fit. The drum was filled with acid, lime and cement and dumped into the Yarra River. Police found out about the murder and were intending to charge Dennis with it.
3: But Dennis was a wily bastard and he sought a deal, naming convicted murderer Peter Robinson as the killer. Dennis got off on this murder charge, but some witnesses to a previous murder agreed to testify against him, and Dennis finally got his first murder charge.
1: Yeah, but it came too late. Dennis Allen died of heart failure on April 13th, 1987, at St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne. Dennis's body was totally fucked from years of drug abuse, and he also had a congenial heart condition. He was only 35 years old when he died. Um, So from taking massive amounts of speed all his adult life, um, pieces of his heart were breaking off and actually falling into his chest cavity.
3: Oh, the irony. (laughs) The the heartless man dies of heart failure.
1: Yeah, that's pretty ironic. After his death, it emerged that Dennis had been feeding information to the police.
3: Fizz gig is actually an understatement. Kath describes in the book The Matriarch by Adrian Tame an occasion where Dennis arranged to meet a drug courier who flew in from Asia with a stomach full of heroin-stuffed condoms. When Dennis met the courier, the police swooped in and arrested both men. Dennis was let go with the heroin and the police got the cash. On another occasion, the police supplied their prize informant with an official issue bulletproof vest.
1: Oh God, he would have loved that. Except he didn't like wearing shirts, so that would have been conflicting for him. (laughs) Yeah. Kath argued that police at the time were nothing but gangsters with badges.
3: She's not wrong. Mm. As we were researching this story, one thing kept coming to mind. Here's this volatile career criminal who was also under almost constant police surveillance and yet nothing happened to him. He seemed untouchable.
1: Yeah, well, we now know why. During Dennis's height of villainy, the police used an abandoned Rosella soup factory for some of their surveillance. It's
3: just down the end of Stevenson Street it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I actually yeah, I know that one. And Dennis would occasionally pepper the building with gunshots. Kath told of an incident that took place the day after Dennis used a machine gun on the factory. She stated that the police visited her and told her you'll have to stop him taking pot shots.
3: Well your son keeps peppering our factory with gunfire. I'm gonna go and tell his mum. Yeah, yeah,
1: just dobbed on him to his mummy.
3: Another associate of the um, Pettingill clan related a similar incident in which Dennis blew out all the factory windows with a twenty-two automatic and a Colt forty-five. This resulted in another visit to Cath by the police. And yet another request that she make Dennis stop shooting at the factory they use for surveillance.
1: I love how they wouldn't dream of approaching Dennis himself because they're just like, oh, look, that's not going to work. Look, we'll just, we'll dob on him to his mum and and maybe she can help.
3: You know what I think they might have done? They might have waited till Dennis fell asleep.
1: Which didn't happen often.
3: (laughs) Which didn't happen often, every two weeks. Because they didn't want to face Dennis. (laughs) So they'd have to talk to his mum. Yeah, (laughs) Because they were scared of him.
1: Rightly so, as an animal. If something about this sounds terribly wrong to you, well, it's all part of the murky relationship which existed between Dennis Allen and the police at the time.
3: He had also been killing people, Tara, and then telling the police where the bodies were and pointing the finger at other people, including his competition.
1: Oh, how convenient. After her son Dennis died, Kath said... In the end, before he died, he didn't know who the fuck I was because he used to brandish guns at my head too. Half the time, I think he thought I was his girlfriend. There was only 16 years' age difference between us and there were a couple of girls that he went with that were like me to look at. I've actually got a photo of uh, one of his girlfriends that later had her head shot off and she looks like me in the picture.
3: Oh, (laughs) Cass.
1: I feel like she's kind of proud of it. Yeah.
3: You
2: know,
1: like that's what I get from that.
3: During Dennis's criminal reign, his brother, Peter Allen, was in and out of prison for drug and armed robbery offences. While inside, Peter was part of a sophisticated drug ring. Drugs were brought into the prison by corrupt prison guards, with the money siphoned off into dozens of TAB betting accounts.
1: Peter had a huge ego and was also a big user of speed. Uh, But Peter had some rat cunning and sometimes level-headedness that Dennis lacked. Peter was considered to be one of the best jailhouse lawyers in the state.
3: But with Peter in jail, it was now the younger brothers, Victor and Trevor's time to shine.
1: Victor Pierce was cold, calculating and methodical. All of his crimes were meticulously planned. Victor wasn't one to fly off the handle like Dennis. He would plan a murder for weeks and was particularly good at robbing armoured trucks, which is not an easy thing to do. No,
3: it's not. In 1987, members of Victor's gang, known as the Flemington Crew, were shot and killed in two separate confrontations with police in Melbourne. Their names were Mark Militano and Frankie Falestro. Detectives maintain that both men, who had long histories of violence, were shot when they refused to surrender and threatened police with guns.
1: Victor's best friend at the time was 33-year-old Graeme Jensen. He was his go-to guy in many armed robberies. On October 11, 1988, the police planned to trap Jensen in Narry Warren and charge him with the murder of a security guard at a Brunswick supermarket. But Jensen saw the police coming. Uh, they called on him to surrender.
3: Police said he went for his gun, so they shot and killed him. The gang were convinced the armed robbery squad had now become a hit team. Victor Pierce was butt hurt, flew into a rage, had a cry and swore revenge.
1: Early the next morning, Constables Steve Tynan and Damien Eyre were patrolling on the night shift in South Yarra. It was just before 4am when they answered a call to investigate an abandoned car in Walsh Street.
3: They found the Holden Commodore had a smashed side window and the vehicle had been hot-wired. Constable Damien Eyre wrote down the registration number in his notepad as he inspected the registration sticker on the windshield.
1: With no warning, they were ambushed by up to four men. The young constables didn't stand a chance and were gunned down. Constable Eyre was shot once in the head at close range with a shotgun blast. Constable Tynan was disarmed and shot in the head and the chest with his own pistol.
3: Steve Tynan, 22, had been a policeman for two years and nine months. His partner, Damien Air, 20, was from a police family and had only been on the job for six months.
1: The murders shocked the whole of Australia and there was a massive public outcry.
3: The Guard of Honour at the Police Academy during their funerals went for more than a mile.
1: Victoria police were gutted, as were the general community, who saw it as an attack on the rule of law.
3: Effectively, it was an act of terrorism to select two random police officers to murder. A major investigation into their deaths was opened. Police across the state of Victoria volunteered to do extra shifts.
1: So let's just take a moment to unpack this. The stolen car was left behind, so it wasn't about that. The armed robbery squad were not targeted, even though they were the actual police who killed Graeme Jensen and others from Victor's crew. So Victor didn't care who turned up to get shot, as long as they were wearing a Victoria police uniform.
3: This massive investigation would become the largest in Victoria police history, lasting over 900 days.
1: Killing police is usually a no-no in the criminal world, and the underworld prepared for a disruptive backlash. I mean, it's just not good for business.
3: No, the status quo was uh, not respected. No. Fearing for their lives and being blamed for their murders, many of the current escapees from the state's prisons turned themselves in. All in all, 30 escaped prisoners across Australia surrendered. Isn't
1: that crazy that there were so many of them actually out there at one time?
3: There was like about 43, so they got most of them. Most of them were just like,
1: oh, no, the heat's going to be so high right now. I, I may as well just go back in. Yeah,
3: that's right. That's
1: amazing. Detectives immediately suspected Kath Pettingill's family of committing the murders. Days after the attacks, dozens of officers descend on the house of Victor Pierce in the still fortified Stevenson Street compound.
3: They took their house apart, plank by plank, brick by brick, searching for evidence until it was demolished. They even excavated the entire block until it was just a hole in the ground. Wow. Now, they did find a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but they found nothing of uh, evidentiary value.
1: In this particular in case. In this
3: particular case. They found swords and guns and all sorts of shit. god,
1: dog heads.
3: So the police started looking into the Penningill clan, looking for a weak link. They would find it in Victor's nephew, Jason.
1: It was a good move. Um, Jason had had enough of the violent and bloody world of the Pettingill family and he wanted out, so he agreed to testify against his uncles. Jason told police that he didn't believe the two young cops who got knocked in Wall Street deserved to die.
3: Meanwhile, the police resumed their outright war against the armed robbers and more of the Flemington crew went down. Jed Horton was shot by police in a Bendigo caravan park on November 17th, 1988. The specialist car fee for the gang, Gary Abdullah, he was gunned down by police in a Carlton flat in April 1989.
1: The investigation continued for another two years until police finally made five arrests. On December 30th, 1988, Victor Pierce, his brother Trevor Pettingill and their nephew Jason and their mates Anthony Farrell and Peter McAvoy were charged with the Wall Street murders.
3: They were kept under lock and key at the notorious H Division of Pentridge Prison in Melbourne's north, they were all welcome there with a good old-fashioned blanket party oh, from the prison a bit guards. Bit of a ski
1: mask party, huh? That's
3: right. Except for Jason, of course, who was put into witness protection with his mother, Vicky.
1: In addition to Jason, the police now had a new star witness, Wendy Pierce, who was Victor Pierce's wife. She gave police a detailed account of Victor planning the executions. Task Force detectives had worked on her for months, chipping away, hoping they could turn her against the men they were convinced had ambushed and murdered the two young police constables in Wall Street.
3: Now Tara, she knew the rules. To talk to police, let alone give evidence for them, was an act of unforgivable betrayal. She knew how dangerous it would be if she turned dog, and they wanted her to become the biggest dog of all. Lassie? A Doberman? A Great Dane? No. <laughs> no? Fizz gig? Finally, she told them she would cross the line. Of Victor, she would tell police...
1: He disliked police so much that he would often say to me, oh, I'd love to knock them dogs. His hatred of police was so vicious that at times I was scared to be with him.
3: Wendy Pierce says she was convinced police were going to kill him.
1: We went on the run, living in motels with the kids.
3: But suddenly, as a trial got underway at the Supreme Court in January 1991... Wendy Pierce changed her story and effectively sabotaged the police case. She'd actually played them the whole time.
1: After 18 months in protection, estimated to have cost around $2 million, and after swearing to her husband's involvement at the committal hearings, Wendy betrayed her police minders and saved her husband from conviction and a certain life sentence.
3: Jason's evidence alone was not enough to convince the jury and the four men were acquitted.
1: That is... Bloody meticulously planned, isn't it? Like, that was something that she'd probably worked on with Victor and they had schemed Absolutely. such it's, hard scheming. It's the
3: ultimate long con. And, of course, double jeopardy applies here. That can't be tried again.
1: Wow, this was just such an outrage. As the news broke, police across Victoria were sent a special radio message urging them to control their anger and to respect the jury's decision. Jason and his mother, Vicky, were sent off into a life of witness protection.
3: In December 1992, Wendy Pierce was found guilty of perjury and sentenced to 18 months jail with a minimum of 9 months over the statement she made in the Supreme Court. In sentencing her, Judge Ross said the perjury was premeditated and she had shown no signs of remorse. She gave birth to her youngest child in jail.
1: Ten years later, on the 1st of May 2002, Victor Pierce was shot dead in Bay Street, Port Melbourne. A vehicle had pulled alongside his and several shots were fired into Victor's head.
3: The shooter was a rival Melbourne criminal, Andrew Benji Veneman. We know that name, don't we? We certainly do. Enforcer and best mate of Carl Williams. Benji himself was then killed in a Carlton restaurant on March 23rd, 2004.
1: Some years later, Kath and Trevor Pettingill got involved in a new drug enterprise. Isn't it interesting that a mother who's lost like two of her children to drug overdoses would choose to trade in heroin again?
3: It wouldn't last, Tara. They got busted after an undercover detective infiltrated Kath's family after he narrowly avoided getting murdered by a stone-cold killer called Stacker.
1: Stacker, huh?
3: This undercover cop, he went by the name of uh, Lenny Rogers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they loved him.
1: Right, did Stacker love him?
3: Well, Stacker, you want to hear more about yeah, Stacker? I, I,
1: I would like a whole podcast on Stacker, please. Well, I'll
3: tell you how he got his name. Yeah, um, It was after stacking dead bodies on a doorstep after allegedly intentionally overdosing them.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, such a Stacker thing to do.
3: So Lenny Rogers, mm. that, that was his fake name. Yeah. The, the, the Petting Girls loved him.
1: Oh, they thought he was a great dude. They
3: thought he was a great dude.
1: Yeah, this brave detective endured a dangerous nine months undercover inside Kath's family circle and lived to talk about it.
3: Oh, think about how tedious that would be.
1: It would be like equal parts tedious and horrifying. Oh,
3: that? scary. Mm. It was Kath and Stacker's plan to roll Lenny Rogers for the large amount of cash he would carry because he was buying drugs. Yep. It would end up being Trevor who would protect him and save his life.
1: Fifteen people um, involved with the Pettingill family would be eventually convicted, um, including Kath and Trevor. So these were all drug charges that they were convicted on. Trevor got seven years, Stacker got five, but alas, Kath only got 18 months.
3: Well, by the time Kath was actually sentenced, the, the judge said that time served, she seemed to be rehabilitated. She did her like little old lady kind of act. Yeah,
1: right. I've been doing that too, but yeah. it just doesn't work for me. Evil granny. Yeah, that's my plan.
3: Yeah, well, that's right. Later, Kath would offer to buy the undercover detective's testicles unattached for $20,000 or $10,000 a ball.
1: I wonder if anyone, like, got some other balls and went, here they are, and tried to get the money off her.
3: Taking some pig's balls and Yeah, so- <laughs>
1: you know, just wondering. After her release, Kath retired to the quiet Victorian seaside town of Venus Bay with her son Trevor living nearby. Her son Peter, who spent much of his adult life behind bars, had no contact with them.
3: Yeah, um, he doesn't like um, his mum anymore.
1: I hate you, Mum.
3: Kath has received an award from the Victorian Premier for her charity work, Tara. Really? She drives her elderly to and from weekly bingo sessions.
1: (laughs) Of course she does.
3: Of Jackie Weaver's Academy Award winning performance of her in Animal Kingdom, Kath says,
1: I've seen the movie and I'm not impressed. She's supposed to have read books about me and studied me for the part, but it doesn't come off. We're both short and blonde, but that's where the similarities end. If this is supposed to be a film about the life of me and my family, it couldn't be further from the truth.
3: Kath Penningill takes a particular issue with Weaver telling her boys to give her a kiss and then planning one on their mouths.
1: If I'd done that to any of my boys, I'd have copped a smack in the mouth, not a kiss. It was disgusting. No mother behaves like that. Jackie Weaver and I have only one thing in common. Neither of us can act.
3: Well, I'm sure the Academy disagrees with that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Mostly
3: most of the movie going public would. I, mm-hmm. I, I thought she smashed that role.
1: Oh, she was fucking amazing in that part.
3: Uh, Kath believes in God but once told a friend.
1: Oh, I won't be going to heaven. I wouldn't know anyone. <laughs> she, That's she's damn straight she wouldn't. Yeah, no, she's not wrong. <laughs> wow. Uh,
3: it's a crazy story, isn't it?
1: That was a wild ride.
3: I'm not sure what my favourite part of the story is.
1: <laughs> um, the, the, the fact that it's over now. <laughs> it's kind of my favourite part of the story. I love the
3: undercover detective living in, in, in the Pettingill family circle for nine months. I think that's great. Yeah. Uh, and that whole long con that Wendy Pierce did with Victor Pierce to get them off that shooting.
1: Oh,
2: I know, but that's, like, that's such awful. a miscarriage of justice, isn't it? Yep. Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
3: What is Aussie as?
1: Oh, no. Before we do that, we'd like to take a second to thank some people who left us some reviews. So thank you so much, Alice from the USA.
3: We've got Owen Jan from the UK.
1: And Melissa Spears, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. We love you too, Melissa. Okay, so this thing called Aussie ads that you wanted to hear about, do you want to hear one of those? What is it? Well, I generally say that they're tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour, but sometimes they're not really about that. Sometimes they're just cool Aussie stories, and would this you is like one to, of those.
3: Would you like to hear one, Barney? Yes, I would.
1: <laughs> well... An unusual discovery in a beer garden recently sparked a search for a real-life Cinderella.
3: Ooh, intriguing.
1: Staff at the Club Hotel in Bundaberg in Queensland were looking for the owner of a set of false teeth that they found in their beer garden. A cleaner at the hotel found the dentures and left them on top of the bar with a note. The Club Hotel owner, Anthony Burrows, probably nicknamed Anti said he walked in the next morning and made a very unusual find. Ah, oh, oh, I walked into the bar and I thought, what the bloody hell's that? The club hotel posted a picture of the dentures on Facebook, hoping to reunite them with their owner. The accompanying caption said, Do these teeth belong to a Keith? Or is it a Ruth who has lost her tooth? I like their imaginations. We are looking for our beer garden, Cinderella. Whoever fits these dentures can go on an adventure. Now, by adventure, what they meant was um, the owner of the teeth would actually be handed a complimentary stubby of VB, Victoria Bitter Beer, but only if the teeth fit. Ooh. So it's like the OJ trial all over again. If the teeth fit, you must acquit.
3: And
0: give a and- beer. <laughs> <laughs> <BB. Yay. laughs>
1: the club hotel business development manager Said that the bizarre discovery Wasn't the only unusual find they've had He said oh, I wouldn't want to get in depth With what's been found in the beer garden over the years Quite a few things But not fit to talk about Which Barney It got me wondering What the fuck he was talking about What do you think like ginger merkins Maybe uh, used adult diapers.
3: A Kath Pettingill's glass
1: eye. That or large rubber nipples. <laughs> and also if she was in there going, I lost my eye and they found a large rubber nipple, maybe they could have given her a placeholder. Uh, she could have seemed like a large rubber nipple pie. Yeah,
3: I'm sure it rolls onto the couch sometimes at the, uh, at
1: yeah, the Stevenson Street compound. my actually bought one for his dad um, years ago and it did fall out regularly. So thanks to the power of social media, the owner of the dentures was eventually found. A man who wished to remain anonymous, oh, I have no idea why, claimed the fake chompers after his son tagged him in the Facebook post. Anto stated, Ah, oh, he says he doesn't wear his dentures very often, but he put them in for a family evening here. He took him out for dinner and then oh, he didn't realise he'd left them behind. I don't have dentures yet, but I imagine that's a thing.
3: I guess he'd need them if he was eating a steak, but for soup he wouldn't need them. Look, um, I
1: don't know how it works. What I like yeah. is that they offered this free beer, but they were like, you've got to put the teeth in your mouth and have them fit. So mm. I'm imagining, like Bundaberg, it's Queensland, there probably wasn't but could have been some people saying they were that person, and then they went, put them in your mouth, put put the dentures in your mouth. To, yeah, nah, I'm not putting that nah. shit in my mouth, yeah. Yeah, or they tried and it didn't fit. But they eventually found their owner, oh, and the Cinderella story had a very happy ending. That's beautiful. Don't you think? Yeah, I love it. It's lovely. So this brings us to the end of the episode. Um,
3: so thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. If you'd like to support us, visit our website or if you just want to buy
1: us a drink because we're really
3: thirsty yeah, we get there's thirsty. a there's a PayPal donate button there too and we'd like to thank uh, Chelsea Harrison for buying the drinks for tonight.
1: Oh thank you we're drinking them now and they are delicious.
3: They really are. I've been Barney Black
1: and I've been Tara Saraban.
3: and this is Bloody murder.
1: Please don't forget to review us on iTunes or our Facebook page.
3: And of course, rate and subscribe, it really helps us.
1: Feel free to follow us on Twitter at BloodyMurderPod or on Instagram, which is bloody underscore murder underscore podcast. Also, um, our Facebook page and our Facebook group, and we'd like to take a second to really thank our um, admins and moderators in that group. You're you're keeping it awesome for all of us. Thank you.
3: Absolutely. Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com for news, galleries, more episodes and merchandise, including leggings, stickers, I still and and shoes, the, Yeah. Even.
1: We've, <laughs> we've got everything. Barney's a graphic designer, so it's been like a fun challenge for him to like oh, just go, is. I can do that. That'll be cool. And we have some amazing stuff, and I don't have my leggings yet, but trust me, when I do, you'll see them. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.
3: Goodbye and adios.
1: And keep kicking against the pricks.
3: And vote for Bloody Murder.
1: Yeah, vote. Oh, my God, we're eating. Okay, we don't really mind that we're behind Cambo because, like, we love him. But he's third and we're fourth. And there are some, like, actual, like, industry fuckers ahead of all of us. So, like, come the fuck on. Give us and Cambo... And possibly more good nightmare and evidence. Like, you're fighting like, pull your finger out fuckers.
3: Uh, uh look, you don't have to be in Australia. Or in Australian
1: citizen. This is a like a
3: global thing probably. Absolutely
1: global. So if
3: you're in the UK and you love bloody murder, vote for bloody murder. Look, if you're in Wisconsin, if you're in Middle America, if you're in New York,
1: California If you're in Belgium and only vaguely like us, please still vote. Then intercom on in the room and they kept lying that it wasn't on and they were using sonic pressure on my head since
3: 1997 oh and i love people from canada they're lovely vote for us
1: tanya Todd's from there and she's the best
3: hey tara i've got to tell you a story Yeah. I was going to the vet with Laszlo the oh, other day. Oh, your little get, kitty. How old's yeah. he
1: now? Oh, he's about four months four old. Four months? Yeah, four he's months growing old. every time I see him. Put him
3: asleep over there.
1: Ooh, I know, he's gorgeous. Yeah, he, was, he does try to drink my water and fuck my shit up.
3: Oh, he was biting me before when we were talking.
1: <laughs> His teeth are so pointy.
3: They really are. So I took him to the vet and, look, we got the first shots for him mm-hmm. and uh, he's got a little bit of cat flu, you know. He's got a bit of a runny nose and we've got some antibiotics for him and that's all good. But the vet, oh.
1: Did they try and upsell you?
3: They really did. Did they
1: prey on the fact that you love your little kitty and they want to, uh-huh. like, get all of your money? Yeah. Okay, so how did they phrase, like, what kind of stuff did they well, tell you to get? They,
3: they told me to get some uh, a tail insurance. Oh,
1: tail um, insurance. What, Um, just for, like, in the house or outside of the, what well, kind of no, tail? no, both
3: kinds, both so kinds. So
1: internal and external tail and insurance? You,
3: no, you've got to get, I mean, this fur tax, of course.
1: Well, yeah. What about those ears? They don't come cheap.
3: Well, you got to get that ear coat. They mm. really wanted to get that ear coat. Uh, it's like, if he
1: doesn't have the ear coat, he'll be deaf by the time he's
3: like, four. It's like when you buy a car, you've got to get uh-huh. that true coat. Yeah. yeah, oh, my God, city oh, vets are me. the worst. But the worst thing was mm. that, uh, you look, look, my girlfriend was running this interview with a vet. But every time there was a, a decision to be made, they would look at me.
1: Well, you're the white guy in the room. Yeah, I'm that a, happens I'm, to us I'm a the tiny white bit man. too. That's a bit shit. Everyone should defer to the white man because who's the
2: decision maker? <sighs>
1: clearly.
3: Look, I was fine for my girlfriend to run this. Well, I was she just, knew
1: what she was talking yeah. about. Did you?
3: Well, no. No, not really. you were busy. Yeah, that's right.
1: She's on holidays. You're working. Uh, I get it. That's
3: uh, a crazy world we've got to put up with. It honey.
1: is a fucking crazy world. And um, let's look to the things we love and enjoy, and not stand for any of the shit that how, we don't. How
3: dare you? How dare you make me feel bad that I didn't get that that tail, insur- that well, tail you're insurance? Well,
1: you're, you're probably going to need the tail insurance at some oh, point.
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, what's been going on with you, Tara?
1: Oh, well, Poppy, um, our backyard's really overrun. Vines, every time the, the tiny-handed, tiny-footed real estate guy comes by to give us like, you know, like that he does a review of us living there like every four months, which is ridiculous. And he's always like, oh, that backyard needs work. And I'm like, oh, my boyfriend's busy. Um, but, yeah, Poppy got stuck in the vines out there. Uh, the other day, and um, I heard her barking. I was in the front room and she's barking, and then she got a bit more angry. I went out and had a look, and I'm like, nah, eh, she's all right. I can see her peering up. Doesn't seem to be being attacked by men in balaclavas or Broderick, because you know that's how he enters a room.
3: Well, no, he enters a room through the skylight well, we on, a, on a zip line. Yeah, he, comes down, he comes Felham. down on a zip line, don't yeah, you, Broderick? He
1: doesn't knock on the front door. He wears the balaclava and he, he yeah. enters. In a way that you would least expect it. So it's, I was like, maybe it's Broad. And I was it, a bit disappointed. But it's
3: also pretty sexy.
1: Oh, uh, well, I mean, you've seen him. I've seen Broad. Um, but yeah, so I went inside and I was like, uh, and she kept going. And I was like, damn, girl. And I went out there and she was all tangled up. She was tangled up in vines. So, hey, quote hey it's February
3: now, Tara. So that means it's only three months until we see Cambo again.
1: <gasps> oh, is it in May the awards? We it's get to May. see Cambo. Yeah. And you know what else, listeners? We would like to do a live show with Cambo um, when we go to Sydney for the Podcast Awards if you get us nominated. We're trying to get ourselves nominated in like true crime and stuff but – We'd like to do a show, Yeah, that'd and we be love fun. Cambo so much. Yeah, we're eating his farts so hard, but we're okay with it because we love him, and so we think this his far- farts it- smell great.
3: These farts are pretty tasty.
1: Yeah, but there's a couple. There's like two other people ahead of us in Cambo, and we don't know them, and we don't like the smell of their farts or the cut of their gym. Well,
3: their commercial radio kind of. You know they're popular, but hey, we work hard. We don't. We have no budget behind us. We have jobs.
1: Yeah, um, come on, uh, support the little guy. India's support the little guy. India's fuck.
3: India's fuck.
1: (laughs) Ah, damn straight.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, this was a fun day.
3: Catherine twin, (laughs) (laughs) Woo. (laughs) woo. yay
1: yeah yeah they were all conjoined twins and what they did was they did crime but all together and so they all just wore a really big blanket and just like the same balaclava it was like a circular
3: caterpillar just going like a wheel across the world
1: constantly
0: like you
3: do yeah human centipede of crime (laughs) pretty much (laughs) i know i could read refusing to test a no, apparently, I can't.
1: Affusing to testicle amongst them because that wouldn't be cool unless you wanted it.
3: <laughs> oh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, oh who d- yeah. Well, who doesn't I'm going like to
1: balls? Against you, oh, Barney. Oh, bring yeah. down the
3: ball. The ball rain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's raining balls. Oh god, fuck yeah! It's raining yeah. balls. Yeah, Hell no. <laughs> hey, Barney. Yes, Tara. Your farts don't smell as good as you think they do. Yes, they anyway, do. You know what, like, we call them, like, on the streets, we call them the phlegm crew. And instead of that, we have a shorthand, we go just like. <laughs> and everyone knows what you're talking about.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: there you go. <laughs> that's a, That's actually how you say it on the streets. You don't say, like, Flemington crew. You go, ah, oh, he was a part of the. <laughs> <laughs> They're both named. <laughs> no, it's me. No, I haven't finished. The Flemington. Oh, sorry, it is.
3: <laughs> Their names from...
1: Sorry, the men in the family came and went. Hang on, the men come and came and went.
3: Okay. No, no biting. <laughs> I just had to squirt the cat.
1: I don't doubt it.
3: Right in the face. He was biting my. He was biting my arm.
1: How come I don't have a cat squirt bottle as well? You know, like you'll be safe now, and he'll just come attack me.
3: I need one for you when you start singing Peter Allen.
1: Yeah, you need more than one for me. That's enough, Make sure it's not full of vodka this time because that's how we got into that mess. Oh,
3: that's right. You just open your mouth and go, ah.
1: (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much.
3: That's pretty funny. Covered in diamonds around his necks. Around his necks.
1: (laughs) How many necks did he have? Twelve. (laughs) Right, that makes sense.
3: He sported it fresh with dozens of gold chains. You're on the fence, aren't
1: you? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Little bit. Um, You know, just... Yeah, I'm on the fence. Uh, If he said he would knock them Get out of there! He would knock them. Um, Okay. Ow! Get out! Ow! Ooh. He's a fucking killing machine, man. Just
3: go away! Get away!
1: I can't see if he's going to attack me. It's like swimming in Jaws waters.
3: I'm gonna to have to lock him upstairs for a while to calm him down if I can catch him uno de mayo who the first of may
1: oh. catchy
3: uno de Mayo, I like that other Spanish holiday twelve to eat de mayo
1: oh yes, that's my birthday that is it's your birthday it is oh. it's coming up it is uh oh, yeah. gonna have to get you I don't know <clears throat> like a Oil painting of
0: Laszlo attacking your face. (laughs) How's that sound? (laughs) I'd
3: hang that on the wall.
2: You
0: would, I know.